Good morning. Hasn't this morning been awesome already? Hasn't been great? Come on, give God some praise, right? Man, them kids were too cute, right? Uh, George, in 10 years, you're going to have a whole choir here, man. It, I heard some good voices there. Good morning. My name is Ed Mejia. I am the church planting resident here at Living Hope Church, and it's a joy to be with you this morning to bring the word of God to us. Um, before I even dive into Isaiah today, I just want to take a, a, a quick moment just to thank Living Hope Church, thank the church family for your prayers, your support, for every text message, every email, every bit of love that you have shown us uh, during this difficult season, and, and God has just been awesome. He has truly shown us the love, uh, the support that we have here is, is powerful. And so we, on behalf of me and my wife and the whole family, we want to say thank you for that. Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, we're in Isaiah 9 today, Isaiah chapter 9. And while you get there, I don't know about you, I love Christmas movies. It's one of my favorite things about the holiday season. Especially this time of year, you know, I, I get to watch my favorite one. I'm, I'm a big Elf fan. I love Elf. It's, it's just a great Christmas movie. Right? Come on. I heard somebody say, ooh, out there. It's all good. And then I, I also grew up on Home Alone 1 and 2. I mean, I'm a New Yorker, so, you know, I like Part 2 a little better, you know. Um, but my favorite thing about this time of year is that, that in recent years, uh, because this debate wasn't going on when I was a kid, in recent years, there's been this debate that, I don't know, maybe just blew up online about this one particular movie, right, questioning if it is indeed a Christmas movie. You know what movie I'm talking about? Die Hard. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I say yes. And I'm going to show you biblically why. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, just kidding. (laughs) But the reason the movie is debated if it's an actual Christmas movie is because Die Hard doesn't fit the vibe. It doesn't fit the aesthetic of Christmas season, right? When you think of Christmas, you think of a cute baby in a quaint manger, not gunfights and explosions, right? And I think sometimes when we think of the nativity story, when we think of the birth of Jesus, when we think of Christmas, I think the same thing kind of tends to happen to us where we we often forget that the birth of, of Christ isn't only this beautiful story of the birth of our Savior on a silent night. But that the birth of Jesus was part of a cosmic battle against evil. That, that, that the birth of Jesus was the beginning of the end for the kingdom of darkness. Jesus' birth may have happened on a silent night. But it made a lot of noise in the kingdom of darkness. In Matthew, we even read that Herod was seeking this child to kill him. It's clear that the kingdom of darkness knew that the true king was coming. And the birth of Jesus was part of God's rescue plan to redeem humanity by invading the kingdom of darkness. You see, Jesus, Jesus was the original boss baby. He didn't just show up to make Christmas cute. He showed up to overcome the world. And as we continue in our series titled to us, A child is born. We're unpacking Isaiah 9 where Isaiah is announcing to Israel the great promise of the coming Messiah. And last week, we heard from Pastor Tim that Jesus is indeed the light that breaks even into deep darkness. And today we're looking at verses 3 
through 5 in, the, in, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, where we'll see that Jesus is our deliverer from oppression. Now, let me give you a little background. We're going to read the text, and then I'll pray. Our text is addressed to the people of Israel this morning, who at this point in time, in Isaiah 9, have, have been split up. It's, it's their northern and southern kingdom. Not only that, they have been walking in rebellion and craving worldly security. For that reason, they've been an idolatrous people. And Isaiah is sent as a messenger of God to the Israelites to, to, to warn them of the judgment that is to come. And it's not just a judgment that's like, I mean, you know judgment is serious in the Bible, but we're talking about the Assyrians here. The Assyrians were no joke. They were a serious threat to the Israelites. Historically, they were one of the greatest fighting machines of the ancient world. They were bloodthirsty and wicked. And despite Israel's rejection of God's word through Isaiah, God in his great mercy and grace announces his plans to give his people a light and a hope again. So if you have your Bibles ready, let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 3 to 5, and then I'll pray for us. You have multiplied the nations, the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they devoid the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that in your birth, Lord God, in, in your sending of your son, Lord, you sent a warrior, a God who fights for us, a God who is deliverer. Lord, you know in this room, Father, all things, the weight, you know, the, the struggles, the, the trials, you know, the bondage, you know, the hurt, Father. And I thank you that you are coming into this place even now, Lord God, to set us free, coming into this place again to change our minds, to change our hearts. Father, as we worship looking at your word, Father, would you grip our hearts, grip our spirits? Would you fill us anew? That we would walk, Father, with greater hope and greater faith in you. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. So before we dive in, let me give you the big idea of the sermon this morning. If you're a note taker, uh, this could be helpful. Here's the big idea. Jesus delivers us from oppression by delivering on his promises. Jesus delivers us from oppression by delivering on his promises. And I'm going to give you three reasons why it's important we get this this morning. First reason is joy, liberty, and peace cannot be bought. You can't pay for that. One of the lies I find myself having to kill every day is that I can save myself. Whether through my good performance or possessions. And the truth is that it is not enough to save we cannot save ourselves. We can't buy ourselves out of depression or anxiety. We can't buy ourselves out of hopelessness. 
Sometimes we'll buy more stuff thinking that somehow it will fulfill us. But joy, liberty, and peace cannot be bought. And there are only things that God himself can save us from, no one else. And it's only when we recognize that only Jesus can deliver us that we'll stop trying on our own. And that we can truly come to experience the joy and liberty and peace that we have always longed for. The second reason I think it's important we get that Jesus delivers us by delivering on his promises. Because this kind of oppression that we're talking about in Isaiah is a spiritual oppression. You may not feel oppressed by society. You may not feel oppressed by anything or anyone. But when it comes to our hearts, our souls, and our minds, the enemy is at work constantly to oppress believers. Oppression is any experience of prolonged and cruel treatment. And I don't know about you, but sin is that way. Sin has been that way in my life. Have you heard this quote before? They said that sin will take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you way more than you wanted to pay. Oppression from sin and Satan is a real problem, and we need a deliverer, and praise be to God for Jesus. And the third reason we, we really need to get this is because here's one, one thing that the, the, the Christmas story teaches us, is that God's ways may not make sense to you and I. But it certainly is the best way. God's ways may not make sense to us, but they are what's best for us. God's ways may seem like they won't work for you, but they do. You would be amazed what would happen in your life if you started to trust that his ways are higher than yours. It may not make sense. But don't overlook it because it is God's best for us. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 verses 3 let's look at the specific promises that are being made that jesus delivers on and the first one is the promise of joy let's read verse 3 it says you have multiplied the nations you have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoils here we see that god promises to multiply the nation This is a picture of prosperity under the blessing of God. At this time, Israel is small and divided, but God is promising to multiply and increase their joy. And if you notice the the, the language here, the past tense words for multiplied and increased, it, it shows us something about the prophetic. The prophetic sees into the future and speaks in the present as though it had already happened. And that happens because our God is omniscient and eternal. He knows and sees everything because he's everywhere at the same time. And that's why God's word can be trusted this morning. We can count on his word, church. Because the fact that God is who he says he is, we can trust, we can count that his word and his good and perfect will is as good as done. But how does he increase joy? Well, look what it says. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Don't miss, don't miss what God is saying here. Those few words right there at the very beginning, those four words, they rejoice before you, says something. It says that God is the center of our joy. That he is the source of our joy. And listen to me, the further you are from God, the further you are from ever increasing joy. It says they rejoice before God, not the harvest. 
They rejoice before God, not the spoils of war. Of war. You see, it's being with God that fills us like nothing else can. I remember a couple years ago, I got into like this, like Forrest Gump, I just want to run thing. And I just started like running. Like I became a fan of going out for runs, right? And and you could ask my wife, she was like, why are you running so much all of a sudden? And I literally had the Forrest Gump answer. I just want to run, right? So, so, so check this out. So one Saturday morning, one Saturday, yeah, in, in August, I remember I was going to get out for a run. It was going to be a longer run and I'm in it. And I'm throwing my shoes on, and, and Elijah was seven at the time, and he's like, Dad, I want to go with you. And I'm like, okay, Eli, but it, it's like 90 degrees outside. Like, it's really hot, son. I don't know if you should, should come out with me. Maybe you should just chill. We'll go run together another day. He says, Dad, I don't care. I said, okay, but Eli, I'm, I'm going to run pretty far. You might get tired, and then you're going to want to come home. And, and, and Eli turns around and says, Dad, I, I don't care. And I said, Eli, look, I run a little fast, okay? And I, and I want to get back, and I promise we're going to run another day. And he says, Dad, I don't care. I just want to be with you. Man, that bottom lip, I was like, it just, he hit me right in the feels. I was like, oh, man. See, to him, what we were about to do wasn't about results. He didn't care how far we ran. He didn't care if he came back with a six-pack or not. <laughs> He didn't care about any results. He cared about being with me. He cared about the relationship more than anything else. And, and the truth is that this kind of joy is the kind of joy that's rooted in being with God. In relationship with Him. And so here we get a description of what this joy is like. It says, this joy as with the joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. And, and of course, you hear these references in this text of the farmer and the soldier. Right? The farmer sows, he waits and he reaps for the harvest. He waits for the harvest to come. The soldier fights until they are victorious and then they divide the spoils. So listen to what God is promising here. He says he's promising to give them a joy that they didn't have to labor or fight for. Oh, I don't know, man, but that did something to me when I was studying this thing. Because I feel sometimes like mom and dad, like you're sowing seed and you're waiting for the harvest and you see no results. Or maybe you feel like you've been in a fight and you see no end in sight. And here, the promise that God is making through Isaiah is that there will be a joy that's coming that you did not have to labor for and you did not have to fight for. We can't earn this joy. But we can access it. And by His grace, we get to enjoy the benefits of His labor. Listen. I think what I enjoy most about this particular passage is that this is a promise of what's coming. And for you and I, if you are waiting for a harvest, if you are in the fight, I'm here to tell you what Isaiah, what God is saying through Isaiah to Israel is joy is coming. Joy is coming. The fight may be hard right now. Things may be dark right now, but joy is coming. You may be tired. You may be weary. You may be feeling lost, but joy is coming. And why can I say joy is coming? Because the king is coming. Because the king is coming. Weeping will endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. Because the king is coming. Those who sow in tears will weep with shouts of joy. It's the king's presence that's being promised here. That's where our joy is coming from. So you see, Jesus was born so that your sorrow and oppression could be overturned. <laughs> 
so that you could know the joy of being loved by your God. He wants you to have the joy of having your sins forgiven through his death, the joy of your heart reborn and receiving eternal life through his death and resurrection. Jesus delivers us from the oppression of hopelessness by delivering on his promise of joy. And the second promise in our text is this promise of liberty. Let's read verse 4. Look what he says. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressors you have broken as on the day of Midian. This verse offers us some insight into the tools of the oppressor. I mean, think of a cruel taskmaster controlling and driving his slaves. The oppressor uses tools to keep control over their slaves. And and in this particular verse, we see it. It's the yoke, the staff, and the rod. The yoke controls with a heavy burden. It's a weight across the shoulders of the slave. With the staff, the oppressor controls the direction and the choices of the slave, poking and prodding the slave. With the rod, the the oppressor controls by punishing with condemnation, hurting and beating the slave. And, and, And hear me, sin uses the same tools to keep us under its control. Sin will put a yoke on us to keep us down and bound, carrying the weight of guilt and condemnation. Sin will control our choices, like 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 with the staff in life, by misleading and misguiding us, deceiving us into thinking that the sin of the world will deliver on what we crave. Sin will, will, will use a rod and, and lead you to do things you don't want to do, and then punish you for it. Making you face the consequences, whether in this life and condemnation in the next life. But God promises that these tools would be broken. And look how he says, and the Lord says, as on the day of Midian. If the name Midian is ringing a bell for you this morning, it's probably because it's, you, you know it's referencing a story out of the book of Judges. If you remember in our series on the book of Judges last spring, we learned about Gideon. And during the time of oppression from the Midianites, God calls Gideon despite his weaknesses, despite doubts and insecurities, and he leads the army of Israel. And you remember how God took his army from thousands to just 300 to defeat who? The Midianites. Simply to show That victory is in the hands of the Lord. With this phrase, as in the day of Midian, God is jogging their memory to paint a picture of how he would break the tool of the oppressor. And and God is basically showing Israel and us that if the conditions are the same, as in the day of Midian, the solution is the same. What was the solution in the day of Midian? The solution was faith in God, not dependence on humans. It's not depending on ourselves, it's not depending on others, but it's faith in God that won the victory for Gideon. And it would be faith in God that would sustain the Israelites here in chapter 9. And it's faith in God that will sustain you and I when we feel surrounded by discouragement. When we feel surrounded and attacked by a culture that is anti-Jesus, is anti-God. When we feel discouraged, when we feel beat up, when we feel the stress coming all around us, it's faith in God that gets us through. 
And here's the thing, as in the day of Midian, it's also pointed to another thing. That the defeat of the enemy came and will come through what appears in all these instances as insignificant means. Let me ask you, how does it make sense that 300 Israelites defeat an army of hundreds of thousands? The odds don't make sense. How does it make sense that a promised child, unto us a child is born? How is a child going to help Israel in light of the Assyrians? Let me take it further. The cross. How does a man dying save me? It looks like these means are, are not actually what they are. Like they're insignificant. Like, but, but the truth is they're not. Look what 1 Corinthians 1.18 says. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Doesn't matter how, how strange it may look in your life. Faith in God is always the right thing. And it's because Jesus came and died for our sin that we are now dead to the oppressor, dead to sin, and alive in Christ Jesus and have liberty. Romans 6.6 says it like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This passage promises total redemption by the Lord. That's what Isaiah is proclaiming when he says that the rod of the oppressor will be broken as in the day of Midian. It will be a total redemption. And I like how this commentary said, Israel will be utterly delivered from the oppressor. I like that. Utterly delivered. God doesn't kind of deliver us. God doesn't almost deliver us. He utterly delivers us. In Christ, we are free from the bondage of sin, death, and the devil. See, Jesus delivers from oppression by delivering on his promises. And here's the best part. Here's the best part. Look at this. The same tools that the oppressor used to keep you down, the yoke, the rod, and the staff, the same tools that Satan and sin used to destroy you, Jesus uses to lead you by grace through faith. Let me prove it to you. Look at Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, and 30. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Psalms 23, 1 through 4, the psalmist says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus gives us his yoke that is light. Jesus has the rod and the staff. And and instead of controlling and condemning us, it comforts us. And this leads to verse 5, to the promise of peace. Let's read verse 5 together. For every boot of tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is deeply encouraging for us, church. 
Because God is saying that the result of this deliverance is a sense of lasting peace. So much so that every mud cake boot once worn by a warrior, every bloodstained uniform that was once worn by a a soldier will be burned up and used for fire. And listen, I don't know about you, but you don't burn things you need, right? The battle is over. The garments of war will never be needed again. And here is the deep encouragement for us. One day the fight will be over. One day we will have everlasting peace. One day your battle with sin, your battle against cancer, your battle with anxiety and depression, your your wars with fear will be over. But this promise is only true and attainable in Jesus. See, Jesus' peace is different. I like how he says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Why is this peace different, church? Because peace with Jesus is peace with God. And it's a peace that he gives. See, Jesus delivers from oppression by delivering on his promises, not only to give us peace, but by being our peace. And so in closing today, we saw through Isaiah 3 to 5, these promises made and how they're fulfilled in Christ. But I wanted to close by reading the very words of Jesus so that you would see for yourself how Jesus himself says in his own words how these things are fulfilled in him. This is the fourth and final point. And if you would go over to Luke chapter 4 with me. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and 21, or through 21. This is the scripture we heard read at the opening of our service this morning. Luke tells us that Jesus launched his ministry by reading from another prophecy in Isaiah, chapter 61. Another prophecy of the Messiah's role to deliver us from every oppression. Let's read it together. And he came to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. In this text here, in Luke, you know what we see? We see that Jesus is the God who shows up. I, I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus is the God who shows up. I don't know who didn't show up for you. I don't know if it was a friend, mom, dad. I don't know who said they would be there and wasn't. But I could tell you one thing. If Jesus says he's coming for you, if Jesus says he'll be there when you call, he will show up. 
If today you are feeling abandoned or forgotten or weighed down or discouraged and defeated, if you're feeling captive to sin or darkness, I'm telling you, Jesus is here and he's not here to condemn you. He's here to proclaim good news of joy, liberty, peace, and the favor of the Lord. See, the child born in a manger is our deliverer from oppression. And today, Jesus is here to deliver you from whatever oppression you may be experiencing. So I implore you, if if today you don't know Jesus, or if today you are just weighed down, Put your faith in him today. You know, me and my wife recently found out that that this holiday, that the holiday season, I, I didn't really know how bad it was, is a really rough time for people who have mental health struggles. If, if you are struggling, if the weight is too heavy, I'm here to tell you, he is here to lift you up, to give you strength, to give you hope. So I want to encourage you this morning to put your faith in him today and watch what God will do in your life. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing a song in just a moment, but I, I want to pray for us that if, if you are experiencing the, the burden, the yoke, the rod, the staff of the oppressor in any way, I, I'm praying today that God would break that. That you would see that in the cross, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, those things are broken. And now you are under the care of the great shepherd. Let's pray together and let's sing and worship and respond to the love that came down for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you know every hurt, that you know every burden, that you know every bit, Father, of of oppression that we face in any way, shape, or form. And we thank you, Father, that today you are sitting on the throne, that you have taken away all the power from the oppressor. You have taken all the power from sin and death and we don't have to walk in fear. We can stand and and believe with hope and joy because you are our joy. You are our peace. You are our freedom. You are everything we've ever wanted, Father. And we thank you that you didn't leave us alone, but you sent your son. We thank you that love came for us when we couldn't come to you, when we couldn't get ourselves up, when we couldn't fix ourselves, when we we couldn't get out of the cage, Father. When we couldn't get out of our prison doors, out of our bonds, Lord God, you came to us. That even in our rebellion, you came after us. Thank you that love came down. Thank you that your son came down. Thank you that our deliverer has come and our deliverer is with us even now. We love you. And we thank you. And see your great name we pray. Amen. And amen.